0: And so the reading is from John and it's chapter five and it's verses 16 through to verse 27. And it's the authority of the son. So, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him Not only was he breaking the sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer, Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Very truly I tell you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of man.
1: Good morning everyone Well, it's been a brilliant series,'s been a short series, but looking at the Holy Spirit, looking at uh, God as Father, with the youth leading us, which I just thought was absolutely fantastic last week. and they've done that at Bourneville this morning, uh, just leading us in this whole business of the Godhead, the Father, the Holy Spirit, and today, as Tim said, looking at Jesus and. Throughout history, Jesus has been really the person, the person of Jesus, who's caused controversy throughout history. He, in fact, has divided history. Our calendar even reflects before Christ and after Christ because of the significance of his life and claims. And in a way, you might say, well, why does it matter? You know, we have uh, beliefs, different beliefs about who Jesus is across our world. Why does it matter? If Jesus isn't God himself, then the revelation that he brings doesn't really mean anything, does it? If he's not actually God, his teachings, all the things that we as Christians, if you are a Christian today, seek to live by, really it's irrelevant if he isn't God, because it all comes from that place. Secondly, if he isn't God, then he is powerless to forgive us. He is powerless to forgive us. And yet, right here in this passage in John, we hear him saying audaciously, I am equal with God, calling God Father and saying that actually God has given him permission to judge the world. And for us, that might not seem so breathtaking, but at the time, it was the most controversial thing that he could possibly have said. And he's just following up something highly controversial that he's done. He's healed on the Sabbath and the Jews and the Pharisees are out for his blood. They're out to trip him up, and they think, here it is. In this claim, he is no doubt claiming that he is God and that he has power to judge. So for our context, it really matters, and it certainly mattered then. I heard a story uh, many years ago now when I was listening. I like to think it was Radio 4, but I have a suspicion it was Radio 2, knowing me. Um, But I was listening to this uh, person talking about his child, and he was saying that his son had very, very short concentration span. And he wanted an afternoon off. He just wanted a lazy Sunday afternoon with a cup of tea, and maybe the Sunday magazine, and he thought that's what he needed. But his child was on it from one activity to the other, to the other, to the other and he just thought, what can I give him to do that will just settle him and maybe give me an hour's piece? And he had this genius idea, and he saw this picture in his magazine of the world. And so he thought, I know what I'll do. So he quickly cut the world up into lots of different pieces like a puzzle, and he said to his very young son, he said, What I want you to do is to spend the next hour, hopefully, um, putting the world together again, You know, seeing where all the countries go. I'm jumbling it all up. I've got some tape here and some glue. And you can make the picture of the world again, all jumbled up, off you go. And he thinks, right, I've got an hour now just to have my cup of tea in peace. Five minutes time, back comes the little boy. Daddy, I've done it. And he thinks, aha, no, he hasn't done this. It's all going to be in the wrong place. But he looks and he thinks, I've spawned a child genius. He's done it. He's put every single country is there in the right place. And he says, son, that's really quite remarkable in in five minutes. And he feels very proud of him. And he says, oh, no, dad, it was very easy. And there was a face of a man on the other side of the the piece. And all I did is I just put his eyes, nose, mouth, and it all came together. (laughs) And um, it was actually, the commentary went on to say, it was actually a picture of a painting of Jesus. And that's why they were mentioning it on on a thought for the day. And in a way, when we look at the person of Jesus, suddenly our world starts to make a bit more sense. Suddenly, actually, in the face of Jesus being God, we can start to think, actually, even the pain and suffering in our world, is actually not going to be distancing us from God. Why? Because he sent his son, Jesus. Why did he send his son? As he says here, Jesus says, I've come to rescue you. I've come to bring you from death to life. I've come to bring you from sin to freedom of sin. Uh, an incredible claim, and one that I certainly have found to, to be true in my life time after time again, that Jesus has power, not only in his teaching, but in who he is. That's why we pray through the name of Jesus. H.G. Wells says that a test of a man's legacy in the future will be, how did he change the way that we behave? How did he change the way that we think? And has he left anything behind him to grow? Well, I think we can safely say, as a third of our world follow Jesus still, that he has left something pretty phenomenal to grow in the actual Church of Jesus Christ. And C.S. Lewis famously said, and I know for many this will be a repetition, but I just think it's so important that he said, actually, to make the claims that Jesus does here in this passage, to make the claims that he makes, he was either a lunatic or a liar, or he was God. And even today, if this were a courtroom, that's the decision we need to make in every heart. Was he mad because he's saying some pretty audacious things? Was he evil because he wanted to mislead a third of our world's population? Or was and is he God? And if he is, then everything changes. Now the Old Testament gives us some pretty amazing spoilers, if you like, uh, as to Jesus' coming. It's not suddenly that he comes 33 years and then he leaves again. He is in the beginning with God. We read at the beginning of John, in John chapter one, that he was in the beginning with God. I remember doing an alpha course years ago back in Dudley and learning for the first time as a Christian, that actually Jesus was there at the beginning of creation. That had never occurred to me. That Logos, the word, the living word, Jesus was there right from the start. He just didn't appear in 33 years and then go. He was there at the beginning. He is God. And that was a big revelation for me to realize. I also uh, was reading Matthew Henry's commentary on the book of John. And he was saying, isn't it interesting that what does a word do? If you think of Jesus as the living word, the word, Reflect our mind. What's going on in us, don't they? Our words reflect our mind. So, what does Jesus do? He reflects the mind of God, the nature, the very nature of God. In Colossians, we read that actually He is the visibility of the invisible God, that He's the very image of who God is. So, if we don't know what God is like, then we look to Jesus. Job, when he was in his massive state of pain, called out to God. And he basically says to God, crying from his heart, do you have eyes of flesh, God? Do you see as a mortal sees? And he cries that out in a a prayer of pain. God, can you even feel what I'm feeling? How do you understand me? And in Jesus, the answer is yes. In Jesus, the answer is yes, I know what it feels like to feel pain. Yes, I know what it's like to be rejected. Yes, I know what it's like to look at this world, even with eyes of flesh, because he's fully human, but he's fully, fully God. Incredible. No one in the whole of history has come even close to this. In Jeremiah, we read that Jeremiah has a vision that one day, the blind and the lame will be gathered in by somebody. Again, that's Jesus. Isaiah has a picture of a new age where lame people will leap like deer. And again, we see that in the ministry of Jesus. And right the way through, if you look at in the beginning, the very first words of the Bible in Genesis, that's echoed in the book of John. That actually the whole thing from first to last, right through Genesis to Revelation, points to Jesus. And so we have to ask ourselves: is that an accident? Or actually, is that the very, very majesty of God? Um, There's a brilliant book which I would recommend by Philip Yancey, which is called The the Bible, sorry, The Jesus I Never Knew. The Jesus I Never Knew, fantastic book. And he talks about uh, his own obsession with fish. I I don't share that (laughs) obsession. I'm sure many of us here don't. They seem a little bit boring to me, but he loves fish. And so he got this huge aquarium And he wanted it to be a freshwater aquarium, so he had to treat the water every day for these amazing fish to live. He had to do certain chemical things to keep the balance of the water right. And three times a day, he had to be the one to look after them and feed them, pour over them the food that they needed to survive. And one day, as he was keeping this up day after day after day, he suddenly thought, do you know these fish? They never give me any recognition at all for what I do. (laughs) There's never an eye contact, never a kind of little moment where one of them catches my eye, maybe looks grateful. I don't know how Fish looks when he's grateful, but maybe he looks open-mouthed or surprised. But he says, I'm building no relationship with them. You know, I'm just providing. I'm the shadow, if you like, that comes over them three times a day and provides this mysterious shadow. And he just gets this moment thinking, actually, as we look at the person of Jesus, God must have felt distance from his people, having people like Job shout those kind of things out. And to us, sometimes he is the shadow that just provides for us the kind of anonymity, I can't say that, but you know what I mean, um, of of a person. But actually, he needed to become a fish, if you like. So Philip Yancey says he said, I thought the only way I could do this would be to come a fish and swim amongst it and know what it's like to meet them eye to eye, to be there with them. And God did that for you and I. He didn't stay distant. The Old Testament is full of fear in many, many ways. God is a God of fear. Now, yes, he is. He's a God of power. He's a God of awe. He's a God of wonder. But he's a God of intimacy, a God of friendship, a God of forgiveness through Jesus. Some of you will remember a few Christmases ago, forgive me if you remember this story, but it came to my mind as we look at this verse about crossing over from death to life through Jesus. Uh, I was given this, I've even brought it with you, with me today. I was given this uh, about four years ago for Christmas by my friend Lizzie, and uh, she said, Judy, I saw this in a shop and I just thought of you. Live, she said, I just thought of you, and I was quite touched by that. Uh, she's not a believer, she's someone I shared with at uni, someone I still really pray for, actually. Lovely girl, and she said... Um, I've given you this. And I said, oh, I love that. I'm going to pop it right by my Christmas tree. Uh, I really, really like that. So I popped it by my Christmas tree, which just happened to be in my window, uh, looking out onto the lovely Melton Road. Um, And so to me, it said live. And uh, to everyone else looking in, it said (laughs) evil. (laughs) Evil to all who enter my house. Uh, now, my neighbours do know what I do for a living. I think they're a little bit startled that I'd had such a bad Christmas that I wished everyone evil, um, until a lovely friend came round and he, he said, "Judy, have you had a good Christmas? And I said, oh, I've had a lovely Christmas, thanks, it's been brilliant. He said, it was just that you've you've got evil written in your window. just wondered why you were wishing everyone evil at Christmas. Um, I have turned it round since, and it's moved into the back room now, so I don't uh, wish evil on anyone. Um, but I often uh, look at it and chuckle to myself and smile, thinking, actually, that's what God's done for me. That is what he's done. He's brought me from death to life. He's brought me from sin to freedom. And through Jesus, God sends Jesus and says, let him be judge, because he knows what it feels like, because he's close, because he has that intimacy with us. And he turns death into life. He turns thoughts that lead to death into life. He gives us abundant life. Bono, when he was talking about Jesus, refers a little bit to this mystery, if you like, about who Jesus is. In a wonderful quote, he looks at maybe the C.S. Lewis claim that we mentioned earlier on, that Jesus is either mad, bad or God. And he says this, look, the secular response to the Christ story always goes like this. He was a great prophet, obviously a very interesting guy. He had a lot to say along the lines of other great prophets, be they Elijah, Muhammad, Buddha, or Confucius. But actually, Christ does not allow you that. He doesn't let you off that hook. Christ says, no, I'm not saying I'm a teacher. Don't call me a teacher. I'm not saying I'm a prophet. I'm saying I am the Messiah. I'm saying I'm God incarnate. And people say, no, no, please just be a prophet, a prophet we can cope with, a prophet we can take. But what you're left with is either Christ was who he said he was, the Messiah, or a complete nutcase, a madman. I mean, we're taking nutcase on the level of Charles Manson. The idea that the entire course of history and civilization for over half of the globe could have its fate changed and turned upside down by a nutcase, for me, that is far-fetched. So people say our faith is far-fetched, but actually he's turning that right on his head and he's saying actually it's more far-fetched actually to say that Jesus was not God because of actually the reason we're here today is the fact that he is. The reason that we come and are going to take communion together is because we know him as saviour, we know him as forgiveness, and we know him as rescuer. The name in the Bible, Yahweh, means Lord. And right the way through the Bible, we heard that he will be the first and the last, that Jesus will be with us as we go over to meet the father that he will be sin for us even that he will bring righteousness to us that he is our grace that he is our truth even in john 8 verse eight, uh, 58 we hear before abraham was i am jesus said those words he said before even abraham who you will believe in he says i i am and actually in using that he's saying again i am god i am he The simple idea of Jesus being anyone else but God really is more outrageous, if you like, than anything else. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. Uh, a few of us, um, shared this at Bourneville a couple of weeks ago, a few of us went out for a celebration uh, of a birthday I had recently and uh, we were outside the MAC and uh, I had planned that we'd have a picnic because when I planned it, it was sunny and so I thought that we would be in sunshine, that we would have cake and that we would have some refreshments and wine <laughs> and we'd bring that into Cannon Hill Park. However, being Britain, the rain came and it was cold, it wasn't actually raining at the time but it was a cold day and uh, the the rain started to close in, the clouds started to come over. So we sat on those tables that many of you will know, just outside the MAC, with the sign that says, please do not consume your own alcohol or food on the premises. So being the good Christian woman that I am, we put the rug over that sign (laughs) um, because what the eye doesn't see, the heart doesn't grieve over. And we laid out our lovely food and drink and had a lovely time. However, then an official started to walk towards us from the MAC, looking very official. And I thought, oh no, we all sort of went like this as if, you know, we've been caught out. And uh, he came over uh, and I started already to sort of say, oh, like this, as if I was going to say, I'm sorry we've done the wrong thing. And he just said, I've just bought you some plastic glasses in case you needed them. Uh, and I just thought that was a lovely little thing, a little reminder, undeserved by me. I confess it to you, it's out there now. Um, But actually undeserved and yet, just those little grace notes that we see in life that we are not treated as our sins deserve. We deserve, we are sinful people who get it wrong and we deserve judgment. But Jesus is saying here to the people around him, he's saying actually through me, even though you deserve judgment, you have forgiveness and that's an eternal thing. That's an eternal promise that he makes. So Jesus tells us who God is. He tells us how much he works for us. He tells us that actually in this passage, he never stops working. He says, just as the Father doesn't stop working, so must I keep working. And what that means is in your situation today, in the situation maybe that you were praying into earlier on or the thing that you're facing, God is at work. Whether we believe it or not, whether we can actually see what he's doing or not, God is at work. He doesn't stop working on your behalf. Because he loves us that much. If you like, there's a road sign over your life journey right now that says God at work. Not man at work, but actually God at work in your life. Someone told me at the first service that there's only a sign saying man at work because women don't need to put a sign up um, <laughs> because we're always working, but so that men need to put a sign up. <laughs> I don't know if that's allowed. Is that allowed? Probably not. Um, I've said it now. But um, he is at work. He's always working. That's why he says, you know, you say I've healed on the Sabbath, but actually, why would I not be working for your good? There was a man who said, I've not been able to get healed. He kept saying, I keep getting overlooked. I love that. I don't know that Jesus brings him to the front. There's a guy who says, everyone keeps going ahead of me, and I don't get to receive the waters. I don't get there. And actually, Jesus brings him on the Sabbath day and says, you know, why would I not be at work? My father's healer why would I not be at work? And that's true for you and I today. So what does God do? He lives, he lives on eternally for us through Jesus, and we go on to live in him. He works for us, he prays for us through Jesus, and through Jesus he forgives us. And I wonder, I just wanted to read some scriptures as we come to communion that actually really remind us of this claim that Jesus is God, that he is the deity, the completion, if you like, of the Trinity, that God is Father, that he is Son, that he is Holy Spirit. So God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who has died for them and was raised again to life. Lord, we just thank you that your words are true. Jesus, we believe that you are the Christ, that you are the son of the living God. And Lord, we want to live lives that show this world who you are, Jesus, that you are not mad, that you are not just a man, but you are the living God. And as you live out your plans, your dreams and your purposes through us, we pray that we will be the revelation of you, Jesus, in the lives of those that we long to demonstrate your kingdom to. And we ask this in your beautiful, powerful name, Jesus. Amen.